Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 5, The Kings, the human ones. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can find Episode 1 easily at 15minutesontheway.com. Otherwise, brace yourself for a podcast in God's voice telling His side of your story. David is way too far gone, and his heart much too hard for just an anachronistic phone call and cup of coffee to work at this point. I do have to send in a prophet, the prophet of the day, Nathan. David is in fact so far spiraled in his pride that were Nathan to stroll in and speak directly to the king's sin, the prophet would most likely join Uriah on the list of casualties of David's pride. A good prophet is hard to come by in any habitat, so to spare Nathan the danger of propheticide, we employ one of our favorite approaches, the sideways sidle. You can call it a parable. You can call it a metaphor. You can call it a Trojan horse. It's a way to slip through into a person's heart and mind without their realizing it at first. Nathan casually relates a tale to David about what seems to be a local happenstance. You have to have the thick veil of pride over your eyes like David to not be able to see its parallel to what he's just done. Nathan tells it with color and detail, and we won't rehearse it all here. Do break the owner's manual out, or Tom, as we say. Break that out, please, and read it for yourself in the first six verses of 2 Samuel 12. For those that won't, if you're going to read it, and I wish you would, break away now and do it. For those that won't, and didn't, it's a story about two men, one rich, the other poor. The rich one has a profusion of flocks, the poor one just a single cherished lamb. An artful comparison of David's profusion of wives and concubines to Uriah's soul Bathsheba. When the rich fellow has company come to visit, he grabs the poor fellow's only lamb and serves it for supper to feed his appetite and that of his guests. Well, David thinks Nathan has just brought him some kind of dispute between these fellows that's needing an actual legal ruling, because, as one would expect, The king finds in favor of the poor one and orders the rich fellow to make fourfold restitution, as in give the poor guy four lambs in compensation. More importantly, David's heart is touched deeply by the story, and he is angered by the clear injustice of the privileged man of wealth and power taking such cruel advantage of the poor man with merely one lamb to call his own. So upset is David by the unfairness of the situation that this is his full response. As surely as Yahweh lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. That's 2 Samuel 12, 5-6, if you still haven't gotten Tom out. And oh, the fire in Nathan's eyes when he spins back to David and says, You are the man. The prophet proceeds to remind David how far we have brought him, anointing him king, rescuing him from Saul, 
placing him on the throne, blessing him with wives, uniting the kingdom under his reign, and there was to be more to come, Nathan says. But because of what David has done, because of the way he has broken trust with us, broken his trust with his lawful wives, with Uriah certainly, and with the nation, there will be consequences to the king's shameful acts. Although his life is spared, he will experience consequences related and similar to the pains he has caused with his own sin, and he will reap the lust and murder that he has sown. Whereas David was poised to rule in peace with all around him, now because of his sins of violation and violence, David will not have that chance to lay down his sword for attack will come at him from both without and within his own borders, even from his own family. David will also taste the bitterness of betrayal in multiple forms, including when someone else lies with his wives in broad daylight. Finally, as the innocent Uriah has perished as a result of David's hardened heart, so shall the innocent child of Bathsheba that was sown by David's transgression though the child has now grown close to the king's heart. David's heart had so hardened, nothing but this would have broken through. And because of my great love for David and our people, we had to break through past that hard shell to what remained of his heart. The person David had become while relying solely on himself, while withdrawing from me, is an object lesson for you, my friend. It is only when he is looking to me, trusting in me, following me, relying on me, that David is the man who can be the fair, strong, loving hero you've been reading about so far. That is, until he let himself think he was the hero all by himself. The owner's manual is mighty succinct in its account of David's reaction, at least in terms of the narrative with which we've been tracking in 2 Samuel. David simply acknowledges to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahweh. You think? And certainly, that's an important corner to turn for the previously impervious hardened king. However, there's a whole lot more going on inside the awakening king now that his eyes have been opened. Flip forward in your manual to Psalm 51 and read the account there of his turning back to me. Notice in particular verses 10 through 12, which make clear he's finally recognized the heart of the matter, the need for his heart to continually be in our presence. Now do a quick self-check. Have you let a hard shell slowly form on your heart over the recent or years-long past? We are definitely making headway on that shell, but there's way more than that to be done. If, in fact, a shell is forming, you first have to recognize its presence. In order to do so, you have to be honest with yourself, friend. One of the hallmarks of the downward spiral David has just walked us through is self-deception the ability to convince yourself that everything's fine when, in fact, you are crossing into dangerous territory. He was so self-deceived that he didn't realize how far he'd gotten into that dark land. There's a marker you can look for in your life. 
Reread Psalm 51 and see what David has noticed is missing. He gets that he's been away from my presence and that he has broken my rules and trust and is in need of a good power wash. But there's an underlying theme which indicates that as he has trekked out into a wilderness where I do not dwell, a place where he thought to find perhaps excitement, pleasure, and the fulfillment of his needs, he has in fact discovered a place with no joy. Twice in this short heart lyric does he ask us to bring back the joy in verses 8 and 12. Now that David has been roused from his stupor and is looking back on things, he sees what he's allowed to happen and chosen for himself. He feels crushed by the weight of his sin and asks me to remove it, to cleanse him of it, and then put him back in the place he belongs in my presence, declaring my greatness for delivering him. For an even fuller unpacking of how David feels the morning after he has sought and received my mercy and forgiveness, flip back a couple pages from Psalm 51 to Psalm 32. An editor may have even put a heading over that psalm in your owner's manual that titles it The Joy of Forgiveness. There's something we really want you to see in there. So please do grab Tom or open it in your browser or on your app. That's Psalm 32. David has a lot to be happy about, which you're not really going to appreciate if you don't hit pause and open up Psalm 32 in your app. I'll be here. Go ahead. Okay, so David has a lot to be happy about. Faced with his adultery and murder, I had more than enough grounds to remove the kingdom from his hands, just as I had from Saul before him. However, I have mercy on David, both because I had just made a promise that I am going to keep, but also because of David's journey up to the point of his abject failure. His life up until then had been one of seeking and trusting me. That's what makes his fall so hard. But with me, you don't have to live in that failure. I am so ready to pull you out of it, friend. That's why I'm pointing you to Psalm 32, because David gives a prescription here for pit extraction. If you ever find yourself in a pit, here's how to get out. It's getting right with me. Without me, David says, he was wasting away, groaning and weak. But then, here's the moment, here's how you turn things around. I'm not going to wait for you turn to it. Here at verse 5 it says, this is David talking, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh. And you... Him talking to me, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you. So, just as he's led you down his own example of the garden path to sin, David now leads you through the steps necessary to get out of that sin. What did he do? Acknowledged his sin. Confessed it. What did I do? Forgave him. What should you do? Talk to me. 
Tell me all about it. It's not like I don't already know. You're not telling me so that I'll gain new information about what you've been up to. You're telling me so that you know deep in your bones that I do know all about it. You're telling me so that this feeling of separation you've been building so you can feel like I'm not watching you can be blown away by the certainty that I've got my eyes on you all the time, but that even so, I still love you. You mean so much to me that I am not going to hold on to some grudge because you've screwed up, but instead I am going to lift it from you the guilt and burden of it all, and lead you back by the hand into a soft-hearted, joyful life. I can't take your sin away, however, until you let go of it by confessing it for what it is. And this goes back to the very beginning, a selfish exercise of your prideful will to go after something that'll hurt you or others. In the wake of all your sin's consequences to yourself and others, including its separating you further from me, all you've got to do is turn back to me and ask, and I'll take it away. And then, once you've asked for and received my forgiveness, then let Psalm 32, 6 through 9 be your guide to seeking after me on an ongoing basis instead of living out your life like the dumb animals that are mentioned there. Here's what it says, from my point of view. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to me while I may be found, which is all the time. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach you. If I am your hiding place, I will protect you from trouble and surround you with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but my unfailing love surrounds the person who trusts in me. So rejoice in me and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart, because I am not finished with you yet. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 are huge touchstones in David's life. Let's take a glance at one last psalm reference to make that clear. This one's a bit further on in Psalm 103. He actually talks about his life being redeemed from the pit into which he'd dug himself good and deep. And if you want to know where I put your sins after you've given them to me and I've forgiven them, read verses 11 and 12 with me. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my love for those who fear me. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. And the key to it all as to why I take you back over and over is right there in the next couplet, in verses 13 and 14. I know only two of you have looked it up, so here's the key to it all. As a father has compassion on his children, so I have compassion on those who fear me. For I know how you were formed, and I remember that you were dust. Kid, I know what you're made of, 
and I know what you're capable of when you're walking with me on the way. And from everlasting to everlasting, my love is with you, and my righteousness with you and your children and your children's children, with all those who keep my covenant, and remember to walk with me on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook. Then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. You can find a link to our Patreon page there as well. We're sponsored by the Oak Haven Church in the Barn in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oleksandr Zadoyani writes our theme music at smartmediamusic.com. Kenny Eicher designs our website graphics, kennyeicherart.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way. And until next time, be good to yourself.